Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. Thank you, patrons, for supporting us. They include Richard Bruce, who's new. Hello, Richard. Toby Roberts, Luke Plasmeyer as well, of course, long-term supporter, all of whom are supporting us directly, and you can join them and get access to our weekly sister show, Extra Message, which features a bonus Tom Merritt this week by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Now, this week, I'm being supported in person by my spooky, gimp-faced clown of a specimen, my brother from the same mother. It's Mr. Andy Hall of CNET.com. I mean, thank you for such a wonderful intro. I mean, I'm quoting from your script, spooky, gimp-faced clown of a specimen. Yeah, well, that was the nicer version. I just didn't think I'd go with the full insult. Spooky, gimp-faced clown. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yep. I remember that. Okay, that's great. Well, should we jump into some news before we get on with a deeper set of insults? I think we probably should. Let's do that. The government has announced a new scheme to encourage people to take up driving electric cars. Would you like to guess what the incentive is? Except don't, because you know what it is. I mean, it's in the script. Yeah, it's a lurid green number plate. This is according to a Wired write-up this week. Now, if you've got deja vu... It's because we first learnt about the idea for green plates a year ago when the Department for Transport said it was going to launch a public consultation on whether it was a good idea or not. The news is that a year down the line, that's today, hello, I was waving at a calendar um, with today's date on it. Um, The news is that uh, the consultation has now been launched and we've seen the three possible designs. Wow, this is good use of... uh public money. I know, my, my body is clenched in excitement. Um, do you, should we describe the three designs that we've got? Because I've included them here in pictorial form. Yeah. Well, go on then. Oh, okay, you want me to describe them. Um, there is one which is just entirely green with, a, with the usual black lettering. There is one which is yellow with the usual black lettering with a green stripe to the left, and there is also a yellow one with the usual black lettering with a green dot to the left. Um... Who is asking for this? Well, the government wants to find ways of incentivizing people to... And this is an incentive, incentive, is it? Well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But the idea is, essentially, if you've got something to have on the car that basically says, look at me, I'm saving the environment. It's a little bit like when people park their uh, their smart cars sideways on. It's like a little privilege, a little willy-waving. It's a privilege, but they're not, they're not doing that to in order to, to boast about having a small car they're doing it because the car can physically fit that way yeah um i mean i, I from what i am aware the idea is that this will help like local authorities easily identify on uh, on traffic cameras that these are um uh, electric cars and therefore um there are certain, you know, for example, yeah. if you're driving in the low emission zone in London, um, you you do you do not have to pay the fine if you are um, driving an electric car. Yes, I mean we, we can. I've got a quote here specifically from Department of Transport, which says it's a useful visual identifier. Um, should a local authority wish to introduce incentives to promote the use of zero emission vehicles, such as allowing these drivers to use bus lanes and to pay less for parking, which is great, but they don't need that. Um 
plate to do that. They can already um, recognise the cars. Yeah. Which I know because when I drove through the Dartford Tunnel in a McLaren supercar and I didn't pay the fine on time, I got a picture of the car uh, that said McLaren 600LT and a a fine. Why were you in in a McLaren? Because sometimes I drive McLarens. Oh, okay. Just what I do sometimes, just for for fun. Um, But... Uh, These can already recognise the cars that you're in, so I'm not necessarily sure what this is going to achieve. So Wyatt quoted a couple of critics on this. There was an academic who described it very simply as pathetic, and another, a professor, who said, quote, if someone wants to have some indication on their car that they're driving an electric vehicle or low-emissions vehicle, they can put a big sticker on it. Which is true, but if the point is for authorities and some of these automated um, traffic systems to recognise the car, then there'd need to be a standardised sticker to put on the car, which is also then mean you're going to have a sticker. I mean, registration on- plates are designed to be, you know, recognisable by, by a camera. So you wouldn't need any of this at all. You could just use that. Exactly, yes. And when you look at the registration plate you in their systems, it will show exactly what car it is and what, what engine it is, whether it's petrol or diesel or electric. So... Colouring them a different colour seems to achieve absolutely nothing and only serves to kind of differentiate your car from another car, which is, I think, kind of what we're trying to avoid in this, is not to be like, oh, look, this person has got an electric car. Isn't that different and unusual? But just to be like, they've got a car. I think this is a little bit about that, having a nice little green badge to say they're electric. But it's a nice little green badge. I think there'll be a lot of people who don't want that. They just want a good car, and electric cars are great cars. They don't want that differentiator. He says there with a stroop waffle in one hand and a and a latte in the other. What your point being? I have no idea. Um, The thing is. This is uh, this is following plans in September, which I saw published in the Sunday Times, that the Department for Transport also has plans to fully phase out the plug-in car grant subsidy. Now, at the moment, buyers of eligible vehicles can save about three and a half grand a year. Sorry, a year can save three and a half grand on their new car purchase if they buy a new car that has CO2 emissions that are less than 50 grams per kilometer in terms of output, obviously, and can travel at least. 70 miles on electric power alone. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid of that grant because they don't basically they don't want people being able to have the government subsidize them buying a new car, but it, it is one of the ways that currently exists to encourage it. I don't think having a green registration plate is as good as three and a half grand off a new car. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. Would you agree with me? I would completely agree. Um, this is something that has been used in. You would want that. What did he say? I said, Hugh would want that. Oh, that's awful. Um, they did introduce something like this in Canada, in Ontario, I believe, about 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's not unprecedented. Um, and actually, Charlotte, who's in the chat room, hello, Charlotte, says uh, there's a company that will rent you an electric car to use as your own, which is around £300 a month. She is seriously considering it. thing is, that's about £1,200. No, 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 sorry. Three hundred pounds a month. Okay, it's just under four grand a year. But, but as, as leasing a car in the same way you would lease any car, you know that's not a that's that's a that's not a terrible price. Well, she you know, says you, you don't pay repairs or insurance. 
So it's not yeah, a bad, it's, it's not a bad it's, deal. It's, it's a, it's, yeah, there are similar schemes for, for other for petrol cars as well. This isn't exclusive to electric mm. cars. And there are also, um, uh, funnily enough, I, I was looking into this yesterday, there are more and more um, rental companies that specialize in um, electric vehicles, which is great for people who don't want one all the time, but when they do want a car, they can get an electric one instead of a petrol one. But this, I mean, this also ties into a, a wider trend that we're seeing, particularly for young people, younger people, mm. which is that we don't want to own anything. Everything's subscription, rental, use as needed, pay as you go. Yeah. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't want this, particularly if it's including all of your bills and fuel. Well, it's not even fuel, is it? It's power. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't get away from the problem that you still need um, to be able to be somewhere where you can where you can charge it and outside of the cities as you've experienced in some of your little road tests i say little road tests i don't mean to belittle them but they were little road tests except for that one big one when you went across the continent that yeah was, that was quite big and that was um that was a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm planning on on doing some some more of these because it's amazing how much the infrastructure has changed in, in only a very very short space of time um i when I, I i for example it was three no four years ago now that i took a tesla model s to barcelona and back and it was very very different planning the route uh, different difficult sorry planning the route because there weren't as many tesla superchargers which really if you've got a tesla you need to be using tesla's chargers you can use the other ones but they're a lot slower um i in january of this year i did um a similar route i went to chamonix and back in a tesla model x and the sheer amount of tesla superchargers that are available and the better locations that they are found in for example now you will find them most often at the usual petrol stations and services that you would stop at anyway whereas before it was only in sort of the back car parks of weird ibis hotels that you would find in some industrial estate in the middle of nowhere and so you'd park up and wait for your car to charge and it would, you'd have to just sit doing nothing um i stayed in an ibis hotel the other week it's nothing against Ibis hotels, just for location of where some of these ones um, and where the charges were. So it's amazing how how much more simple it made that journey. I didn't really have to plan at all. I just drove, and when I started to need to recharge, I just pointed it towards the nearest charger, quick top up, and I'm back on the road again. It was dead simple. One in every 17 cars apparently sold in the UK in June of this year was electric, according to... Uh write-ups in Wired and The Guardian that I saw. Uh, I suppose the question is whether getting a green registration plate will make a scrap of difference to that figure, and I'm guessing the answer is, will it bollocks? Yeah, I would agree with that. If you have an opinion to the contrary, do drop it to the usual address, hello at uktechshow.com. Well, we don't normally delve into culture stories, partly because I don't think that, uh, you know, that it's a given that if somebody likes technology, then they must like things that feature technology. But I'm making an exception today because Andy is here uh, with his uh, goofy, gimp-faced jaw. Um, and we're going to keep insulting Andy as we go, because apparently that is the theme of today. I've read further down the script, and I know what's coming. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, Red Dwarf is going to be making a comeback next year with a made-for-TV movie. Uh, which will also count, presumably, as the 30-year-old show's 13th series. Now, our weirdly named TV channel Dave, 
still to this day don't know why we call the TV channel Dave, but we did. It's going to be broadcasting it, and according to the show's creator, Doug Naylor, it's going to be shot in a format that they don't think has ever been done before. And elaborations furthermore hmm. on that were, were, were not... Well, there weren't made. There was no elaboration on that. Um, Dave's also going to be airing three 60-minute retrospective specials about the show uh, that are going to air around the same time. So basically kind of like most of the DVD extras we've had so far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And it leaves me wondering what format they're going to pursue with this because they've done standard sitcom with a live audience. They've done single camera style with a 360-degree set and no audience. They've done green screen and on location without an audience. And they've done three-part length um, storylines on a, on a number of occasions. And so I have a little theory about this because they have talked... To, there have been rumours of a live show, as in, like, on Literally stage. Literally live. Well, they've talked about doing live on theatre on stage. So I wonder if this could be done actually live as it's being broadcast. He said, never before seen. Yeah, but in, in the context of Red Dwarf... That, oh, in Red Dwarf, okay, that has because never... Coronation Street, famously their Millennium episode, was an hour-long live episode where I believe also included a tram crash. They did also do that more recently, only maybe four years ago, I think. Okay. They did it. There was a, a very big special that I, I watched hmm. live. I was very impressed with it. Yeah. It took a lot of preparation. But they could. I think that's something that could be done, particularly when you think about it in the context of special effects. There's a lot that you can do live that you could never do before. The Simpsons famously quite recently did a live episode. Well, they had a live segment in an episode where Homer responded to people who called into the show to ask him questions live. And that was a great little... Um, Which is funny because they once made a joke in the um, uh, Itchy, Scratchy and Poochie episode of um, very few uh, very few cartoons are broadcast live. It puts a tremendous strain on the animator's wrists. Exactly. And that shows how far we co- we've come. So I wonder if there's an opportunity here to have a you know live sci-fi. And I think that the sci-fi nature could lend itself to some very interesting experiments well, if that was the case. I was going to ask... Well, go on then. Why? Like, what? what is that bringing to the experience... Well, I, I, that's a that's a good question. Other than the other than just being a novelty and and and, well, Red I think Dwarf that is it. I think that is it. It's a novelty. It's, but they've but but that worries me because Red Dwarf has done novelty, particularly when it first did the Dave episodes, and they returned to Coronation Street, second Coronation Street reference in a short space of time, um, which was purely on the back of the fact that Craig Charles was playing a character in Coronation Street, and as it made those episodes frankly painful to watch i went back and watched those recently and they're not as bad as i remembered them being at the time okay i mean it but it was it was very like they were trying to find i if i remember the creators of red dwarf and yeah it was questioned it was it was it was a bit blade run it was very meta but but those there's separate things there there's the storyline that was pursued and then there's the way in which it was shot i think the storylines of red dwarf have been a lot better more recently you know over the last couple of series we've had ones where they've gone to like an alternate reality 1930s london where technology was illegal since one of the main crew in red dwarf is a robot is an android he is therefore an illegal product and the whole thing revolved around the fact that one of the characters was his existence was illegal that was a really interesting idea there was all sorts of very okay. strange strange episodes there's one where they met jesus uh, and he he got kidney stones which was a bit more surreal and and strange but um but those are those are just interesting storylines rather than um formats and i and i and i worry about any tv show or anything that relies too heavily on what could just be a gimmick but that's the thing but what if, what if a storyline was 
actually built around the nature of doing something live? I mean, I know this is all hypothetical. It's entirely hypothetical. But but I think it, I think it could be done if it was you know alternate universe or or a, even a bit of it was like alternate universe or co- you know a conversation where one of the characters had to speak to somebody in the twenty first century. Bear in mind that they are meant to be three million years in the future. What if part of that? was actually somebody being Skyped in, or maybe they need a podcast host. And of course, Robert Llewellyn, who plays Crichton, has been on this very show before. So we would make excellent candidates, I would have thought. This one? Text message, yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh, and he was on the Wired. He was on a Wired episode, but he also was on an early episode of Text Message talking about electric cars. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah, if you went back in time... You see where this is going. If you went back in time, you could we could incorporate that. Okay. I mean, as a as I mean, obviously we're both huge Red Dwarf fans. Huge. Um, I I do, but I do worry that this this smacks already of we're trying to think of a fun gimmick to bring this back with, rather than we're focusing on actually making a really great episode of Red Dwarf. I just wanted to talk around what could a sci-fi show do in the current. Uh, I don't know, meta of the world. Mm. And I think, well, you could do something quite fun if you incorporated a live video call or I don't want to say social media as a catch-all, but there are types of social media, types of formats that could possibly lend themselves, you know, short-form video. I don't know. Maybe I am pushing Probably all shot in. It's all shot in vertical to be watching a phone. Along those lines, yeah. I mean, that wouldn't really work for TV. But those sorts of things could... Tony TV. Could, yeah. The f- TVs of the future will be portrait-oriented. The Guardian wrote this week that medical prescriptions will become fully digital next month under the, an NHS plan to save £300 million over two years. The electronic prescription service will be rolled out across England after a trial run, which has already been conducted, but I'm reading this from The Guardian, and that's how it was worded, in 60 GP practices and hundreds of pharmacies. The Guardian said that at least 70% of all prescriptions are actually already being prescribed and dispensed electronically, um, and that the Department of Health and Social Care has received positive feedback as a result. Now, interestingly, Pand, and this is interesting, and I also just used your childhood nickname, Pand, as in Andy Pandy, shortened to Pand in recent years. Yeah. Don't normally slip into that in... uh, in the podcast, well, congratulations on uh, on, uh, on on well using it. Yes, of course. I'll, I'll call you Pooh Bear next because that was your other nickname, of course, as yep. a child. Um, it, the first electronic prescriptions in uh, the UK, at least, I think, went live around two thousand and nine, ten years ago, at a surgery in Leeds. But nearly all prescriptions will be sent electronically uh, once this final stage has been completed, mm. which is which is pretty good. Um, under this system, I don't believe. You have to send it electronically. I think what will happen here is that every prescription uh, will be or will be by default. But I think you can still nominate yourself to have one paper. Probably in the same way as like your bank statement. You can have it default. It's just emailed to you or you check it in your banking app. But there is a small subset of people that still wants that six-page 
nonsense coming through their door that's telling them how little money they've got left. Yeah, and um, this is all going to be, all the medical information for this is going to be stored on a, a secure NHS database. Secure. I'm going to just put those little hand air quotes around. That's, around your, secure. that's your opinion. But do you know what it's called? It's called Spine. Spine. That's the name of the NHS. I love that. It's a lovely name. Spine. Is it a is it an acronym for anything? A secure place inside NHS England. That was off the top of my head. It could well stand for that. I actually don't know. It's called Spine. Did you think about that already, or was that literally no, I, head I, right I, then? No, genuinely, that just came off the oh, top of my that's head. That's quite good. I thought it was quite good, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. I'm nothing if not witty. For applying a quick a quick backronym, that's not bad. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't get credit for my humour. But it's a lot better than I think I present. Funny that. I'm just going to leave that hanging. I used to have an obsession with spines with my first ever girlfriend, Lois, and I used to print off pictures of spines from the internet and post it through her letterbox. That is one of the creepiest things it's possible to do. <laughs> is it really? Sometimes in pink font. 100%. You used to print off pictures of spines and post it through her letterbox. Medic Medical diagrams. Oh, that's better. Not yeah. of like... Rem, you know, not of spines taken from a body or a corpse. I don't think this is something you should have ever admitted to doing. She used to do it too. That doesn't make it better, I don't think. She used to post them through. Not just spines, all sorts of body parts. From medical... I Basically, I'd got... An, Should we... Okay, so medical... <laughs> the very first... The very first, um, like, encyclopedias on, on CD-ROM or, or floppy disk or something. Mm. Um, I just... You, you'd be able to look at the... Um, you know, look at different body parts like bones and things like that um and she had one too and we just occasionally print them off why are we talking about spines oh yeah the nhs they do spinal work and they're very good at it i'm sure but it is called spine so i wanted to ask you andy do you have you used these electronic prescriptions before because i have and they're very convenient i haven't no i i have still only ever been given paper prescriptions and that's even when i've gone to like smaller private um, uh, GP health clinics that I've booked via digital services because I, um, through through my, my work, I have a vitality healthcare plan. Mm. And so sometimes I will use the, G, uh, the GPs through that to be seen quicker. Is that so, Babylon? No, it's vitality. Oh, oh, you use a vitality doctor. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. I know what you mean. Vitality does have GPs that you can use. I, 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 I've, I've not, I've, no, I've not done, I've not done, Teledoctoring. I've I've gone to I've booked through Vitality Digital Service to see a a, a real doctor in person ah. is what I is what I mean because I'm all about the remote consultations. I, I think it is absolutely the future of our healthcare, and I think it's the, th- the thing that's going to release so much of the burden on our healthcare. We've got uh, one of the biggest problems that GPs have are the people who will just routinely make appointments and either not turn up or just simply do not need them. There are there are more issues that people just do not need to go and see a doctor for but in but these but the doctors their time is being kept busy by so many of these patients and if they were able instead to simply see a doctor over facetime or even a, a, a even a chat bot 
Like I don't, a lot of the time, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a real doctor when when actually a, a decent chatbot would do that. Medical chatbots have been used. Yeah. The, the, but the problem is, is that there's a very large risk of false positives. Yes, that 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 is an issue, and and I can speak from first hand about the 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 fear that can come yeah. out of um, out of false positives on things. But and that's the reason it's not very popular. But 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 remote doctoring is, and I've I've used Babylon a lot, almost always just for standard things like repeat prescriptions. But you still have to have a consultation. Yeah, but they are things that historically and repeat prescriptions is, is another one of the things that which is a burden on doctors because people don't need to come in to have that. They but the law states that they just have to have that consultation. So that's a perfect example of why these it are is. great. And if the NHS does think it can save three million, three hundred million pounds um, doing this, then that's three hundred million pounds that could then go into hiring more GPs to do work that yeah. GPs actually need to paying do. Paying our junior doctors, paying our nurses. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for this. I, I am definitely all for this. Um, I mean, just, do you know where just, it's a problem? Can I just throw one thing out where it on. has been? A well, problem? I was going to ask. I was just about to say, playing devil's advocate on the other side, are there any problems you foresee? Yeah. Well, I, I can. I I have a problem that happened once in the past, which is where I asked my GP, and this is going back about four years. I asked the GP to send the prescription to a pharmacy, and then they went to the pharmacy, but then. I think it, I can't remember why I wasn't able to go, but I didn't go to that pharmacy. And instead, I thought, oh, I know, I'll pick that prescription after work at a different pharmacy. But of course, I can't because the prescription was in a different pharmacy. So the prescription is sent to the pharmacy, not to you. It's sent to the pharmacy. In currently, if you go to an NHS doctor, they will just they basically just email it to this, a specific pharmacy because every pharmacy has a register an NHS register. will there be a way of you it's literally just sent to your phone like a i don't know like a train ticket or something and you go to the pharmacy and show them that they scan the barcode or whatever and go yep okay i think fine. if you use the nhs's um app that like the doctor because they have a thing that's actually powered by babylon i think that way you get it on the phone and certainly if you that do, would makes the most sense if surely. you do it through babylon when or i've done it through babylon emailed you like you could they could email you a qr code which exactly like you buy your train ticket on train line and you don't get a, a physical ticket well sometimes you can print a physical ticket but it's in the app or in your email and you open it and in there is a is a qr code and the ticket attendant scans your phone and goes yep all done i mean that like, basically is it what it is today and, and and in in babylon you get the prescription sent to your phone and then you press a button as to where you want to pick it up the risk of having one like an actual full-on prescription on screen of course is that you can take screenshots maybe reuse it maybe it gets leaked something like the prescriptions that you get on your phone are really more like alerts that it's available the actual prescription is electronically sent to the doctor and weirdly and this is the funny thing about prescriptions although you send the prescription to the doctor uh, sorry to the pharmacy the comp the the prescribing doctor still writes a prescription and the prescription is physically sent initially by fax i think and then by by post to the pharmacy that's dispensing the drug because they need still the physical prescription in some form to then you know I don't know, whatever they use it for, to write off an expense or something. But they still do that in the background. It's just that you never tend to see it. Hmm. But yeah. there you go. All right. So it's interesting. There's a lot of work to be done, but it's happening. Yeah. What's your best experience with digital doctoring? Always let us know. Don't include anything super personal if you don't want us to talk about it. Uh, hello at UKTechShow.com. 
You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Andy, put on your feedback speedos because we are going to dive into a river of opinion right now. Don't know why you'd be swimming in a river in speedos, but that's the mental image we've gone for. Better than swimming in a river in a tuxedo. Who knows? Sebastian may do. He's a patron. He's written in uh, with a comment about our chat uh, about travel agents when we were talking about whether the internet killed Thomas Cook. That is the travel agent Thomas Cook, not a person called Thomas Cook. That would be quite morbid. Uh, Sebastian writes, I had an experience the other day that reminded me of your chat about travel agents and what role, if any, they may play in the future. The company I work for uses an online portal to do all the bookings uh, for our business travel, which overall seems to work fairly well and in an automated fashion and seemed the equivalent of using something like Skyscanner, but with an approval layer in between. However, an amendment was later necessary to include baggage, and that all had to be done via human intermediaries and the portal's service agents. Admittedly, this was not the same as a package holiday, but it made me think of two things. Here comes thing the first. The support and troubleshooting aspect that travel agents provide is going to be hard to automate and stick around for a while, perhaps in a hybrid form between self-service and service providing. Point the second. Companies have different incentives than individual consumers, and as they make more bookings, they may be stickier customers. For some companies, the cost of employees' time is a factor and can offset any service prices. And I think it's his second point there that I really particularly agree with, which mm-hmm. is if you're making tons of booking, you want things to be fast and you want to keep them around as customers. So putting a physical human being travel agent at their disposal yep. might be a, a fantastic way of keeping a job. Our company, um, uh, CBS, um, well, at least on the UK side, all our travel is still done through um, through agents um, who we use for that reason he says. Company time is not best spent booking travel, but instead you just simply email this uh, request through and then they come back with the best prices and best options. It also means that if you are out traveling and you have any kind of issue, particularly with delayed cancellations, any of that stuff, there is someone available immediately who can help sort out those problems and that is what you do not have um, if you are just booking it yourself with Skyscanner and Booking.com and particularly with Airbnb the amount of people I know who have come unstuck by going to a destination having booked for an Airbnb, they get there to find that the Airbnb simply isn't available or in some cases doesn't exist Um, in fact I know of uh, you don't need to name the person. It's Luke Westaway of Outside Extra. I know that when him and uh, and some of his team went to LA for E3 um, a couple of years ago, this is it's a very important event for them. It's a business travel. They got there and the Airbnb wasn't didn't exist. And really? Yeah, it was like it was like a it was a fake one, and they didn't know about the money. But they arrived in LA with all their stuff ready to start reporting from the show, and they had nowhere to stay. And because it's a huge trade show all the hotels were booked and i can't remember how they sorted it out but they well he's got it he's got he's he's a famous guy these days he's got lots of fans i'm sure someone had offered them, them a bed or a floor Pro- probably but um yeah 
Oh, there you go. Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, Richard Taylor is in our chat room and uh, says, this has happened to me. I booked an Airbnb in Wembley. When I turned up, the lady who lived there had no idea that her house was an Airbnb. Turned out her ex-husband had set it all up and taken his money, taken Richard's money. That is an amazing use of, well, ab- abuse of... Uh, mm-hmm. It's quite, ex, it's quite common. An ex-partner. Well, it's quite common that somebody sets an ex's house up as an Airbnb so they can steal money from would-be residents. Oh, I didn't hear that bit. Yeah. Very interesting, Richard. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want this to turn into a uh, how do you not get screwed over by dodgy Airbnb people, but uh, it does kind of... It does give a, a reason for, for travel agents to exist. So thank you for promont, uh, prompting such an interesting discussion, Sebastian. And of course, thank you for being a patron. That means you're one of the best people in the world. Let's listen to one of the other best people in the world. Uh, he goes by the name of Tom Merritt, and he is going to tell us what's been going on in the wider world of tech over on DTNS this week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we discussed a new technology that would provide skin-like sensitivity to your phone, including hair. Talked about privacy-friendly alternatives to Google services. Explained why McDonald's is and probably needs to become a tech company. Discussed the U.S. request to investigate TikTok for security violations. And talked about Facebook trying once again to offer a news service. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. And if you would like to get an extra bit of Tom Merritt in your diet, you can do so because he and I... In addition to recording the show together last week, we also recorded this week's episode of Extra Message, which is the bonus sister show that goes out every week to our patrons or to most of our patrons. Um, and he and I talked about a bit about behind the scenes, how we put our respective shows together. How, what's the difference between producing a daily tech news show and producing a weekly tech news show? We went into detail. Oh, I know. Go he, on. He does it more often. Very good. Uh, fortunately, his insights are far more valuable um so that's out now on patreon uh, if you wish to uh, listen to that sign up supporters directly get that and the whole back catalog of extra messages or mess i uh andy thank you as well for being here with your face like an abandoned biscuit factory you are welcome what else have you been doing apart from looking like that um there's lots of things going on at the moment there are some great things coming up on cnet there will be a big feature on um uh, me photographing a road trip I did um, around Scotland, which I shot in the iPhone 11 Pro. And oh. we've also, um, at the end of next week, probably, I challenged our team, Carfection, who make some of the most cinematic, high-quality videos about cars that you will find anywhere. Um, I challenged them to do a whole video on the Ford Mustang Bullet shot just using the iPhone to see by using pro apps like Filmic Pro and lenses like the Moment set how close they can get to their usual style. And we shot that in Tuesday. We were out on location. It was a tough day of filming. But they're really pleased with what they've got so far. And that video is in the edit suite at the moment. And we're really looking forward to seeing how well that comes out. So you'll find that on CNET. Easiest way to find that stuff of mine is just to follow me on Twitter and Instagram with at Battery HQ. And you should do. And you should go and check out Andy's video, his own video channel about... You should. Um, about how to do some of the insane photography that that Andy does. Mm-hmm. That's also us, oh, Andrew Langson Hoyle. Andrew Langson Photography. Andrew Langson Just Photography. Just go to Andrew Langson Photography in YouTube and you'll find it. I'll put a link in the Patreon chat now. Okay, fact. and I'll post a link in the show notes. Well, uh, thank you, Andy, um, for being here for an extra week and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will be back next week, but in the meantime... Um, 
well just do have some- a nice week yeah and just do something else 